the WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Sometimes false believers are not so easy to detect. They're, they're just like tares among the wheat. You and I don't have the ability to tell them apart. Now, follow me closely. In the story that Jesus told, the parable, he explicitly had the farmer tell the workers not to pull up the tares. Why? Because they might mistakenly uproot and damage some of the wheat. As a young lad growing up on the farm, I had to pull weeds like thistles and mustard plants out of the oak fields. I sometimes wondered if I was destroying more good plants by walking on them than I was by pulling up the bad ones. Well, in today's verse-by-verse lesson on the parable of the wheat and the tares, we will see what Jesus' plan is for removing weeds from his harvest. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel, 1893, Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida, is opening up the parables found in Matthew chapter 13. These parables were given by Jesus to help his disciples understand the mysteries of the kingdom he was establishing on earth. We're glad you have joined us. You can listen to this study again online by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click on Message Archive, then Sort by Date to find this class. You can also sign up for the free monthly newsletter and our free podcasting service. There you can also contribute to the ministry of Verse by Verse and receive the book, Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd, for a gift of any size. That website again is versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. We'd better get settled into our chairs now as Pastor Steve starts today's lesson. Now let me explain. It is important for us to understand that the Lord's first followers, especially the apostles, were all steeped in, in Jewish thinking. They were Jewish men. Their entire thinking was based upon what they had been taught to believe from childhood and based on a total Jewish orientation. Therefore, when they thought of the kingdom, they thought of the great messianic kingdom, an age of righteousness in which the Lord would banish all unrighteousness. But now, Jesus is giving them something new. He's telling them truths that they had never heard of before because it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, that there is a mystery form of the kingdom. There is a form that they had never thought of in which he would reign in the hearts of men and women. But when they envisioned a kingdom, they envisioned a world in which Messiah ruled and reigned without any opposition to his authority. They believed that the Messiah would not tolerate in his kingdom those who refused to submit to him. He would just destroy them. And you can easily see the attitude of Christ's disciples towards unbelievers who opposed him by a very interesting incident in Luke chapter 9. So let me take you there. Hold your place in Matthew, but go to Luke chapter 9. I just want to put this together so that you'll see why the disciples came to him and said, explain to us this parable, because it does not equate with what we believe. In Luke chapter 9, we read starting in verse 51, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew the time was drawing near for him to go to Jerusalem where he would be arrested then put on the cross, then resurrected, and then ascend back to the Father. So in verse 51, that's what we read. Luke 
9.51. He knew that it was coming, so he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Verse 52, and so he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. Now, the Samaritans go all the way back. There There are people with a mixed religious system of Judaism plus paganism, and it goes all the way back to Old Testament times, and they had their own religious uh, system. They had their own place of worship called Mount Gerizim. Uh, there are still a small group of Samaritans even today in, in Israel. Uh, they, they hated the Jews. The Jews hated them. They wanted nothing to do with them. And to go from Galilee to Jerusalem, uh, the most direct way went right through Samaria. In fact, biblical Samaria is really what's called today the West Bank. When you hear on the news about the West Bank, it means the western side of the Jordan River, which encompasses biblical Samaria as well as Judea. So that's really what the West Bank is. So now the picture is this. The Lord is on his way. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He needs to go through Samaria. So he sends some messengers, some of his disciples ahead of him, to make sure that there are arrangements in a certain village for him to spend the evening. We read in verse 53, but they did not receive him. They meaning the Samaritans. They didn't receive him. They said, no, you're not staying here. Why? Because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. By virtue of the fact that Jesus, as a Jew, was traveling towards Jerusalem meant that he had rejected Samaritan worship. He had rejected Mount Gerizim. And he's going to the headquarters of Jewish worship, Jerusalem. And so they said, you're not staying here. We're opposed to you. We reject you. They rejected Jesus and his disciples. They wouldn't let him stay in one of their villages. Now, it's at this point, it's at this point that the attitude of Christ's disciples towards unbelievers who oppose Christ really shows up. Verse 54, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, and by the way, the nickname for these young men were the sons of thunder, and you'll see why in a moment. They saw this, they said, Lord, Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Had that great missionary spirit, didn't they? (laughs) Lord, they are opposed to you. Just give the word. Like Elijah, we're calling fire down. The whole place will be burned up. That's what they thought. That's how they viewed opposition to Messiah. But notice Christ's attitude. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them. And said, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. You don't understand. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. They wanted to destroy Christ's enemies because that's how they understood the nature of the kingdom. But Jesus rebukes them. He said, you don't understand. This isn't the age of judgment you don't understand that my mission in coming is to save people, not destroy them. This is an age of grace and mercy and evangelism. Folks, that's exactly why the disciples asked Jesus to explain the parable of the wheat and the tares, because they understood Jesus to be saying that not only will unbelievers be allowed to exist in the present form of his kingdom, but some of them are going to be hard to detect and they're going to exist side by side with his followers. And contrary to all that they have believed during their lifetime, Now you're telling us we're not to fight and oppose them and even try to expose them and be antagonistic towards them? And Jesus is saying that's exactly right. That's exactly right. See, up to this point, the Lord's disciples had a very difficult time understanding what this age is all about that we live in. Now, later on, 
they, they got it. When they, the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost, and they wrote new, the New Testament, they understood, but not at this point. They didn't understand that this is an age of mercy, and that in this age, you spread the gospel with, with love as you toss the seed around. You don't blast people away in judgment. That, by the way, that's precisely why John the Baptist doubted Christ when he was in prison. Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is in prison and he sends word by some of his disciples asking Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we expect somebody else? And it says, why? Because Jesus was doing deeds of kindness and John couldn't figure it out. He had been preaching that when the Messiah came, he would execute judgment and Jesus wasn't doing that. John at that point didn't understand that there would be two comings of the Messiah. Jesus would execute judgment at the end of this age, but not now. Not now. And, and, and John is languishing in prison. He has been placed there by a wicked man named Herod. And he's wondering, why? Why aren't you executing judgment if you're really the Messiah? And that's precisely what the Lord's disciples are confused about too. Remember, many of, of our Lord's disciples were first disciples of John the Baptist. So they were following in his theology and Jesus is correcting it. And that's the reason why the Lord gave this parable, to enlighten them, to explain something to them that they had never heard before, what this age is all about. So now we move from the parable itself to our Lord's interpretation of it. And now it'll, it'll be clear as we get into this, the point of this. Verses 37 through 39. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. So in response to the disciples requesting him to explain the meaning of the parables, what Jesus first does is he identifies the main characters and elements in this parable. It's important that we understand this. He tells them, first of all, who the farmer in this parable is. The one who sows the good seed represents himself, the son of man. Now, why did he call himself the son of man? He is indeed the son of God, which speaks of his full deity. But we must not forget that he is also the son of man, which speaks of his full humanity. And so he, the son of man, is the one who sows the good seed. Secondly, Jesus identified the field as the world, meaning that the kingdom of heaven is going to expand beyond the nation of Israel. There will be Gentile disciples as well as Jewish disciples. That's exactly what took place in the early years of the church. The gospel spread throughout the Gentile Roman world. The third element in the parable that Jesus explained was the good seed. Now, now watch this. Watch this. Listen closely. In the parable of the sower... Jesus identified the seed as the word of God, but that is not the meaning in this parable. He's changing the meaning. In this parable, the good seed doesn't represent the word of God. It represents people. Jesus said, as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. So he's switching metaphors now. The good seed represents believers. Those who he has scattered all over the world. They're called sons of the kingdom because they're loyal to the king. They've entered his kingdom through repentance and, and faith in him. And they're called the sons of the kingdom. It's just another way of saying believers. The fourth element then that Jesus identifies in this parable would be the tares. 
He says very pointedly in verse 38 that the tares are the sons of the evil one. If the wheat is the sons of the kingdom, then the tares are the sons of the evil one, meaning that they're children of the devil. They're counterfeits. They're not simply unsaved, but they're unsaved who resemble Christians and they've been placed by Satan strategically alongside of believers in the world. And the Bible clearly teaches that every non-Christian is a son or daughter of the devil by virtue of the fact that they have sinful natures that are opposed to God and his agenda. In John 8.44, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. In 1 John 5.19, he said, the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. In 1 John 3.10, he spoke about the children of God and the children of the devil. Ephesians chapter 2 says the same thing, that all unbelievers unwittingly follow Satan. So he's not saying they're, they're Satan worshipers. He's not even saying that they, um, that they believe in a personal devil. He's just saying you either have God's children or you have Satan's children. If they have a sin nature born into this world with the sin nature opposed to God, then they are children of the devil. But in following this parable, the Lord made it a point to say that these particular children of the devil are like tares in that they closely resemble God's children, but they're not. Now, after identifying the tares as the sons of the evil one, Jesus then states the obvious in verse 39, that the enemy who sowed them is the devil. In other words, The devil is God's enemy and he's placed some unbelievers who resemble believers alongside of God's people in order to hinder God's work. So just like the enemy in the story wanted to destroy the farmer's field by infesting the soil with counterfeit wheat, so the devil wants to destroy Christ's work by placing counterfeit Christians alongside of genuine Christians. How how do they do that? How How would the unsaved who resemble the saved How would they hinder God's work? Well, any number of ways. They might cast doubt in the minds of believers, uh, doubt as far as the truth of Scripture. They could lead believers into sin. They also could lower biblical standards, godly standards in the church. They get into positions of even leadership in the church, lowering godly standards. They also could muddy the lines between truth and error, all of that it goes on and on. They, they are amongst believers hindering, trying to hinder the work of God. Next, Jesus identified the harvest as the end of the age, which is a reference to God's judgment at the end of this age when Christ returns. And the reapers then, he said, are angels who will gather unbelievers at the time of judgment and will cast them into eternal punishment. But believers will then enter into the fullness of eternal life where we will shine forever and ever. So those are the various characters, the various elements that Jesus spoke of in in this parable. But now we ask this question, what was the whole point? Because each parable has a main point. What's the main point in giving this parable to his disciples? The answer is found in the remaining verses of the passage, verses 40 through 43. So, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom 
of their father. Let me give you an overview of what these words mean, and then let's examine the key points that Jesus was making in this parable. These words by our Lord are a description of what will take place at the end of the age. This is after the rapture, then the tribulation, seven-year tribulation period, then Christ returns. He's telling us when he returns, what will happen to both unbelievers and to believers, just as the reapers in this parable at harvest time will separate the false wheat, the tares, from the true wheat, God will also at that harvest time do the same thing. When Christ returns to the earth, he will send his angels who, note this, who unlike Christians will be able to infallibly discern those who are the counterfeit Christians. He'll send them in order to separate them from true believers. These angels will then throw pretend Christians called stumbling blocks. Why? Because they work against God and cause others to stumble over the truth of Christ. He also called them those who commit lawlessness because they are characterized, their whole lives are characterized by disobedience to God. The angels will then throw them into the furnace of fire which speaks of tormenting fires of eternal punishment. The angels will then gather all the believers. Matthew 24, 31 tells us from the four corners of the world, they will gather all true believers, the elect, and they will have them enter into the fullness of Christ's eternal kingdom, where they will shine forth like the brightness of the sun forever and ever. Now, that's an overview, but listen very closely. The point that Jesus was making is that in this age we now live in, This kingdom without the physical presence of our king, Satan opposes Christ by planting counterfeit Christians in our midst. Oftentimes, they look very similar, as we've said. These counterfeit Christians say they believe in Jesus. They they tend to join Bible-oriented churches. Sometimes, they're even in the pulpit. Sometimes, they have teaching positions in those churches. And the devil's goal in all of this is to hinder the work of God. In fact, let me show you no better illustration than this found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. When the apostle Paul dealt with the Corinthians, he realized that they had been influenced and infiltrated in their church by false teachers who claimed to be genuine apostles. And they said that Paul's a phony apostle. They said that Paul is a fake. And, and the entire letter of 2 Corinthians is him defending himself and his integrity and the validity of his ministry. Notice 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 13. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful. Notice that they are deceitful workers because what they claim to be they are not. Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, he says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. They're just like him, he's saying. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. He said that your church has been infiltrated with false apostles. They are ambassadors of Satan. And notice, verse 26 of the same chapter, Paul says that they've influenced him. At least they've tried to hinder him. He says, I've been on frequent journeys, verse 26, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, those are the Jewish people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, and note this, dangers among false brethren 
Those who claimed to be true Christians, but they were not, Paul said, and we don't know the specifics, but they in, in some way threatened Paul. You have the same truth in Galatians. Paul writes of the Galatians, and in fact, it's his strongest letter, uh, attacking those who came along with this, to this church and were called legalistic Judaizers. They said to this, to this church, it's not enough that you believe in Jesus. Salvation is by believing in Jesus plus keeping the works of the Mosaic law. And Paul completely denounces that. It is an attack on the integrity of the gospel. That's the whole, the whole point of the letter to the Galatians. They try to lead the church astray from the message of salvation by grace. Notice in 2 Peter chapter 2 how they infiltrate the church in pulpits and key teaching positions. Verse 1 of 2 Peter 2. For false prophets also arose among the people, meaning in Old Testament times amongst Israel, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Notice it's secretly. They're going to just kind of be there. They're going to come in unannounced, even denying the master, the sovereign one who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many, notice how they hinder the church. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they'll exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. He says they're going to come in, they're going, to, they're going to try to hinder the work. Many will follow them. They're going to exploit you. They'll malign the truth. They'll lead you into sensuality. God will judge them. Jude says the same thing. The little book just before Revelation, Jude verse 4, says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. He means crept in the church. Churches, unnoticed. Those who were long ago marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Licentiousness means they're saying you can do whatever you want. Grace means that you're free to do anything you want. You want to behave anyway? It's all right. Because you know what? You're saved by grace. You don't need to, to have any high moral standards. Now, sometimes these false believers are easy to spot because in the case of these folks, they teach clearly heretical doctrine. I mean, if somebody says they denounce and reject the truth of the deity of Christ, you know that they're an unbeliever. That, that's rather clear. And you also know they're unbelievers if they stop pretending to believe in, in Jesus. They went out from amongst us, John says, because they were not of us. If they say, no, I no longer believe that, I reject the Bible, that's very clear. They're unbelievers. But sometimes false believers are not so easy to detect. They're, they're just like tares among the wheat. You and I don't have the ability to tell them apart. Now, follow me closely. In the story that Jesus told, the parable, he explicitly had the farmer tell the workers not to pull up the tares. Why? Because they might mistakenly uproot and damage some of the wheat. He said, allow them to grow together until the harvest time, the end of this age, when the reapers, who are the specialists in this area, who can infallibly discern who's a believer and who's not, they'll separate them. Now, the point of all this was to clearly tell his disciples, his zealous disciples, and sometimes overzealous disciples, that like the workers in the parable, they were forbidden to go around and try and figure out who were unbelievers in their midst and violently uproot them. You see, all of them had that same antagonistic attitude that James and John had towards unbelievers. They wanted to judge them, call fire down from heaven, 
destroy anyone who stood opposed to the Savior. But in this parable, Jesus is teaching them and us that we are not to try to determine who unbelievers are in our midst and attack them, either violently or verbally. Instead, we're just leave them alone because we can't tell who they are. At the end of the age, the Lord will sort it all out. If we're not careful, we're going to damage genuine believers if we don't follow this. That is good advice, Pastor Steve. It certainly is not Christ-like to set ourselves up as judge and jury over some professed believer who may be just struggling with old habits and behavior. May the Lord help us to be always watchful, kind, and loving in our association with those we encounter along life's pathway. Thank you for listening to Verse by Verse today. If you have any questions, please call us at 727-239-0306. We'd love to help you find the answers you are looking for. Our email address is contact at versebyverseradio.org. 